those three years of me and my brother doing you know five deals a month from working out of our house that he lived with me in um two separate computers and kind of like running from appointment to appointment because all face-to-face sales mm-hmm. at that point we were doing mm-hmm. i wish i was went bigger earlier i wish i got myself back into those rooms earlier uh so that way i could be where i am now three years ago and then who knows where i've been doing that same exact Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. So we've got Alex Quezada with Vault Ventures. And Alex flew in from Orlando, Florida to share how he's raised over $30 million in private money. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, you will become one. And we also know the fastest way to become a millionaire is to get good at sales. And our sales community was launched a couple of weeks ago, and the community members are already closing more sales. If you haven't checked it out, go to salesdisruptors.com to surround yourself with sales assassins from across the country. The show is also brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get, over, get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. So, Alex. What was your life like right before you got into real estate? Uh, was a UCF graduate with a finance degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, started working for a travel club, like a face-to-face timeshare type business, where we traveled around to different retirement communities, selling essentially timeshare access. Retirement communities. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Uh, normally you hear like, uh, you have them at like resorts. Yeah. Right? And yeah. like, when you like to stay at a resort like this fairly, like more often. Yeah. So you went to the prospects. Yep. So we would set up like um, I had like a hotel off a highway. Mm-hmm. We would send out. Uh, well, the company would send out marketing to say like you know free cruises for two. Mm-hmm. You know, and the people would show up say I came for a free cruise. Like yes, but you have to go to this presentation. We'll show you how to get all these nice cruises <laughs> and have access to timeshares. And uh, so I would have like a face to face conversation with them for like 10, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and then they would go into a presentation for about an hour or so come out of the presentation and we got to sell them right there on buying the package. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So you had just graduated UCF. Yep. So right out of college and finance, you're jumping right into, I would say, you know, depending on perspective, hardcore closing. So I actually went into try to be a mortgage broker, mm-hmm. um, but it was 2008. So that didn't, that was bad <laughs> timing for time. that. I got training, was starting to do, was going to get into that, direction but then that didn't pan out so i went into uh i found a uh opportunity at this face-to-face sales opportunity yeah was it like uh was it seashell what was it uh there's there's star there's all these different ones yeah. westgate is westgate. a huge one yeah okay blue green so i imagine you got pretty good at sales in a very really short period of time yeah it was uh i didn't really have i was always kind of like entrepreneur mm-hmm. type but i didn't have like that real skill set but learning from what do we just seeing my managers like interact with seller like with the prospects the customers and just kind of like regurgitating what they were saying and putting it in my own words and they handed me books and like taught me you yeah. know uh to learn about it and read books about it and quickly i became the top seller for the last two years i was there really yeah got it so um i guess what did you learn you series of books and so on but like what kind of formal training did you have because like we do sales training, but we are not corporate. Yeah. Right. In fact, we're probably anti-corporate. We're pretty, you know, <laughs> um, 
what's the word? Non-PC, yeah. right? Did you have like corporate sales training or it was still like get out there and go figure it out? This was not corporate sales training. There was training like every morning that's a that sales training and we'd come in every so often and have like group training for like a longer periods of time, mm-hmm. but definitely not corporate. We were like going to little hotel co- like communities, retirement communities, doing the pitches all day, partying at night, next morning, <laughs> like doing <laughs> the pitches again. So it was kind of like we could make a movie out of it almost like we joked about. So Got it. not not corporate at all. Got it. Uh, so you did this, you started in 08, and you did that for how long? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Uh, how relevant was that experience into getting into wholesale? Super relevant. Like, it was everything. It's, it's all marketing and sales here. Mm-hmm. And so not having, if you don't have that sales skill, you really can't do much. Like, there's, right. I'm in a couple of different masterminds, and some of them where people can have all the systems and processes in place, but mm-hmm. if you can't close, you're not going to be successful. Got it. And then um, you did that for three years. Yep. You were top guy for the last two. What'd you do after that? How'd you get like, well, I guess in that you were licensed probably, right? As a realtor. Uh, no, I didn't get a license until I got into real estate. So while I was doing that, I was um, learning about real estate. I mm-hmm. heard an ad online from uh, Ronald Grand, uh, went to that seminar that was mm-hmm. like 500 bucks. And then not too far from you. Yep. Not too far from me. Yeah. yeah. And then I bought that. Uh, boot camp, which mm-hmm. was like back then, like a sales pitch fest. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally bought all the products, yeah. and then just was like learning it for like a year, mm-hmm. and then kind of like dabbling. But we were going out of town for that bit, for that job from like Thursday to Sunday, you know. So I only had like Monday, Tuesday really to do anything with it, and so I just couldn't take action. And then I was like, I'm gonna choose one or the other. I don't really want to do this my whole mm-hmm. life, you know, face to face sales with timeshare, and it was good. It was, it was a great experience, but I didn't like, I believed in it a lot because I got to utilize it. But if you don't use it, you're not worth it. And, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, Timeshare has a bad stigma. So it's yeah. kind of, you know, like that. What was it? So since then, right, because you learned from Ron LeGrand. Yep. I imagine he was teaching it. And since then, you've been in rooms with him as colleagues. Yeah. How has that been? It's definitely, uh, it's awesome to, you know, be able to get to a position where, you know, he still obviously has a lot more education than me. He's been a lot more way time, more seasoned, way more us. seasoned, yeah. a lot more experience. <laughs> but it's awesome to be in those rooms with those folks and and be able to hold your own and, and say yeah. you've done and put into action what they taught you. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. So you go, you listen to this ad, you go to Ron the Grand event, you go through the pitch fest, get the upsell, all that good stuff. Hey, it is what it is. Yeah. What did you do with that information? So at first I I was just learning learning. I didn't really I, was, I started dabbling on putting, you know, some of it into action, but I didn't really take action so much because of my job of going out of town all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I I had put out marketing and they wanted to see me the property, go to the property on a Thursday, I couldn't mm-hmm. be there. Right. So I kind of was just kept on learning and and reading through all the books, really educating myself and then I just told myself, "Hey, I'm going to quit and go all in on, on real estate." Because yeah. I liked it, and being at those events, I saw people on the stage. I was like, "Man, I didn't even graduate high school, and I flew here on a jet." Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm actually smart, <laughs> so like, I know I can do this." And yeah. so, I just had to go all in and just, you know, cut. So cut you're off trying to do it. To you're trying to do it on the side. Yep. And it just didn't work. It did not work with that job in place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then you go, you quit, and now you're all in. Yep. You have a bunch of money in the bank account when you quit. I had I had money. Um. But I, back then it was like a lot of REOs. Mm-hmm. So we were making a lot of REO offers. Um, 
and that's how we really get our first couple deals was how I got my first couple deals with through REOs. Got it. Okay. So you're buying foreclosures yep. from banks through the MLS more or less. Yep. Got it. Okay. So then with Ron Grand, were you learning at that time creative, buy, selling papers or buying the flip? I was learning uh, through him. Um, subject to buying creative financing. I had some appointments like that. I just wasn't able to really get the sellers when I had no property, had like really no experience to give me their properties with their mortgages in place. Well, it was really tough at that time because people have very little equity. Yep. So creative is a great strategy, not as great in declining market. Correct. Yeah. So for us, um, that didn't really work so much. And it was actually Preston Ely's REO Rockstar that really mm. got me going to the REOs. And so from Rama Grand, I got connected with all these other guys who were doing uh, business mm. and just continued to educate myself and get into those rooms with those you know type of people, Freedom Saw, Fortune Builders, those kind of guys, Kent Clothier, and then was able to really just continue to educate myself and take action on everything that I was learning. So um, get me up to speed. Preston Ely. Yeah. What exactly did you learn from Preston Ely? A lot of uh, about mindset uh, was very big. Um, affirmations, you know, playing the movie forward, you know, mm -hmm. manifesting like what you put into your life. Right. And um, and then the REO stuff just really ignited with me. Like it just connected with me. Like mm -hmm. I can do this. And it was just from the computer dealing with agents. It's kind of you know, not so emotional because I'm working with the agents, not the sellers. And it was easily to, to get deals done. And, but I was still missing something in my business. I was like, man, I, I should be doing more deals. I did a couple deals. And then I went to like a RIA meeting where I was looking for like a mentor mm -hmm. in my market. And the guy's like, well, I don't really want to mentor somebody. I want to like an employee. And I was like, okay, well, he's like, I just don't want you to leave me. And like, you know, I teach you everything and, I, and you leave me in a couple, couple weeks a month. And so I'm a very loyal person. You know, I, Say what I'm gonna do, and he hired me. And in like a week, I learned what I was missing. I just wasn't estimating repairs correctly. Mm -hmm. But I'm a man of my word. I stuck with him. I worked with him for uh, almost three years, Got and it. like ran his wholesale business pretty much while he did uh, new builds and rehabs. So you knew something. You were short somewhere, and you yeah. couldn't quite pin it. And then just working with this guy very short period of time, I was like, oh, obviously, yeah, I'm not great at underwriting. Yeah, got it. Okay, so. But going back to the REO, at that time, what were you doing with the properties, right? So, you know, we talked about uh, on, on Certainty Talks last week. Real estate basically is pretty simple. How do you find a distressed property? What do you do with it? Yeah. So the REO part, that's easy. You, find, you found it. What were you doing with that property? I was literally just littering the area with bandit signs, mm -hmm. and I would sell them like that. To who? To... Uh, other investors. Mm -hmm. uh, my first sale was actually somebody who's going to live in the property and they just okay. had the capital. Mm -hmm. It was a cheap property. I think it was like forty five thousand on Wolf Street, Pine Hills, and uh, sold it with uh, Bandit Sign. And then going to those RIA meetings, I would build the buyers list from you know having a sponsor right. table, people coming up to us looking for deals, and mm -hmm. just building a buyers list. Right now we have a, such a from I put an emphasis on that building a buyers list for when I worked for that guy for the wholesale company. I did both. I did acquisitions and dispositions. Mm -hmm. So. I was constantly building a buyer's list and we probably have one of the strongest buyer's lists in Central Florida right now. So you would just buy these properties close to asking price? Um, no, we were definitely getting them, you know, below market. So you buy super deep? Yep. Well, below market, but like below, because like REOs are priced to sell. Yeah. So are you buying at like significantly below asking price or? Uh, typically they would be below the asking price and we would sell it 
slightly below the asking price, but many times we would sell it above asking. Mm -hmm. We would just get there first and get there with a strong offer. Right. And we would know we can sell it. And a lot of times buyers would be like, hey, this is on the MLS. I'm like, I know that's where I got it from. Right. You know, and it is. So there's is. a lot of power there, right? So, like, you know, for the longest time, I mean, you look at buying properties, uh, the REO properties. One of the greatest challenges I remember from back when I was doing it on the buyer agent side, and a common complaint was we can't get these freaking agents to answer the phone. Yeah. What were you doing to get them to answer the phone? Um, we were, so essentially what I would do every single morning, I would look at the hot sheets, what's new on market, what came back on market, and what's reduced. Mm -hmm. And so I would just go through all those properties in the morning, categorize them, pull all the ones I thought were good deals. I would sort them by um, uh, cheapest price per square foot, mm -hmm. go through each one, tag each one that I thought was something that we could work with, then dive into each those <coughs> deeper and what do we put together offers? Mm -hmm. And then my brother would, uh, who was like our assistant at the time, would like shoot out the offers. And mm -hmm. we would have everything like pre-signed and all that. So we would literally just send out offers on yeah. everything. Like we had all the, because it's the same agents typically on those REOs. Yeah. So it's we like would 10, have- Same all, 10 realtors all the time. And same templates. So mm -hmm. everything was like pre-filled out. We just have to change the address, price, these certain things. Mm -hmm. So we can get offers out in five minutes. So we were just sending offers. So we weren't even calling agents. We're like, here's an offer, text messages, you should have an offer in the ox. Got it. And we're just sending out tons of offers, like mm -hmm. a couple hundred a, a month. So really it was more of a volume game than yeah. it was a, a um, relationship game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for us. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And and I bring this up, you know, for everyone that's listening, this might sound like a weird conversation, but like I was initially on the buyer side and I hated those REO agents. And then I became the REO agent. And like these guys, they were buying from us. Like they were the relationship people, right? So I was like, hey, I got this deal. Who do I want to call first? Yeah. Right. So I kind of, I, I had kind of had like my same three or four buyers I'd always send it to. So over time, because they have those buyers, we had to sneak our way so, ourselves in there mm -hmm. and start building relationships, showing them that we, we, you know, can close on the deals and we're right. real buyers, um, even though we're wholesaling it. You know, mm -hmm. we get them done though, and uh, then we started getting some more, you know, relationships uh, from just the initial volume push. Right. So you're working the RIA and you're building your buyers list through RIA. Yep. Um, is that something for someone that's listening today you would recommend? I, I think so. I think, you know, getting face-to-face -face with, with buyers, building relationships, because that mm -hmm. is definitely a relationship business right there. It is. You know, building your buyers, get, making connections with those guys. Um, I think 100% going to RIAs, even putting out bandit signs, I, I think that works as well. You yeah. know, you should, you should never stop building your buyers list. Yeah, because I go, we have Arizona, uh, Azria, right? Arizona RIA. It's my understanding the largest in the country. Wow. And I go there probably like every other month. And I don't put any boots there. Right? I just go there and I just pitch my sales training. But um, there's a month in and month out. There's two that are always there. Uh, there's the property management by uh, Avi. Uh, what is this? Yeah, I'm totally butchering. I feel really bad now. Augie Penev, right? Okay. So Augie Penev and his property management company is always there. Month in, month out. I've never missed him there. And another one's Net Worth Realty. And Net Worth Realty has been like at the Rias. I want to say like since I started going back like four years ago. Yeah. Like they're there every single month. Well, yeah, clearly, right? Yeah. So for everyone that's listening, right, if you're getting started, build your buyers list through the local RIA. 100%, yep. Yeah. Okay, so you're buying these deals off the MLS, REO properties, and you're basically selling to these guys uh, uh, at near uh, list price. Predominantly wholesaling? Yeah, all wholesale. Okay. How long did you continue doing that? So I worked with uh, that gentleman for three years. Mm -hmm. Then I left and me and my brother did it on our own mm -hmm. and we continued to do the same thing except obviously we kept 
all the profit. And then uh, we did that also for roughly three years. And mm-hmm. we did like five deals or so a month um, for those three years. And we thought it was good. I thought it was good because uh, we were keeping all the profits and we were, you know, traveling, having fun, you know, enjoying life. But I went to another event where people were doing 20, 30 deals a month and younger than me. And I was like, I don't, that's, that's way better. I need to mm-hmm. do that. And so I got, I talked to those guys and I'm like, I'm like, how are you guys doing this? Like, what are you spending on marketing? I'm like, about five grand because most of it was REO. Mm. And he's like, yeah, try spending 30. I was like, all right. So I took an Amex card, put 30 grand on it, yeah. increased, started doing PPC, increased mm. our direct mail like tenfold. And the next month, 45 days later, we did like 111 grand. Mm-hmm. And then we just started doing 70, 80, 100, like big numbers now. Where did you meet these guys? Uh, it was at uh, Kent Clothier's uh, Find and Flip Summit, I think, mm-hmm. in like 2017. 2017. Yeah. So um, that was here or was that? It was actually, it might have been in in Arizona. Yeah. Because yeah. Kent, I mean, he's here a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right. And I think at that time it was him and, and, and Sean. Sean Terry, yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing deals. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. <laughs> and then you show up to an event and you're like, oh. There's like levels to this. Yeah. Okay. So then immediately you start spending more on marketing. Um, along this journey, was there ever any doubt, right? Because you said there was something missing. There was a piece that wasn't quite clicking. Yeah. Did you face any doubt along the way? Not real. Not really. Like I'd say pretty positive. Like I had, there was definitely times where I got away from like affirmations and doing those, mm-hmm. those things that like really helped me. Yeah. And I remember it was one May. I don't know what year it was. I was like, man, like, I don't really have any enough money in the bank account. Because with wholesaling, like, deals get, you know, small deals turn to nothing. Big deals get smaller. They get postponed probate issues, this or this. And yeah. I'm like, man, like, uh, I'm not going to have any money coming up. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, like, went back and, like, rewrote goals and affirmations and literally just started speaking my life into existence again. And boom, deals started flowing in again, money started coming early, you know, closings happening earlier, and it just, you know, got me, got me going again. And so sometimes, you know, you get away from what you're doing that's successful, and Mm -hmm. you got to like, refocus. But that was pretty much the only time that was kind of a little bit tricky for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But just getting back to what actually got us there, and just the mindset, mindset's so important, like I really harp on that, and uh, got back on back on track. So you mentioned you you left that guy that mentored you. He guided you. Yep. And you went to go do this with your brother. What were some unexpected surprises going from working with somebody to doing this on your own? Um, it wasn't. Uh, I really wouldn't say it was like so unexpected. Like I, I was really doing majority of the wholesale activities, like Got it. running everything. And while I was working for with him for three years, I was spending my own money to go to events. And continue to educate myself. And I would bring a lot of that back and say, hey, we should do this and do this. Got so it's it almost like I was running the whole wholesale business. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I got a little bit more knowledge from him on rehabs and new builds because he really crushed it at that. I just, you know, I never got that. So that's why mm-hmm. I was, I figured it was my time to go and do my own thing. And um, so really on the wholesale side, it really wasn't much different for me. Got it. Um, now, you mentioned you were working with your brother. Are you still working with your brother? Yes, he runs my whole wholesale operation, pretty much. Got it. Okay. Um, and then that was six years ago where you went to that event. Somewhere along the way, you started doing self-storage. 
Uh, that was recently two and a half years ago. Two and a half, two and a half years, ago. years ago, 2020, we started doing uh, self-storage. Okay, so you're crushing it. You're doing uh, hundreds of wholesale deals a year. Yep. What was the motivation for going from just wholesale to adding self-storage? So in 2017, we started buying um, and holding properties, mm -hmm. a lot mostly through creative financing. We also bought our first mobile home park. That was through a partner that I actually helped get into real estate. And then he found mobile home parks and he's like, hey, let's do this deal together. I raised the capital for it and helped in the beginning aspects of the, of the property, but he was all in mobile home parks. So we bought a couple together. Um, and so I've already owned you know, some assets, some commercial assets, I own some apartment buildings as well, a different partner. And um, you know, now that my business, and this was you know, 2019, 2020, I was pretty much not having to do a lot of the day-to-day -day with the wholesale business. My brother was you know, really you know, taking um, ownership of like being the, the one running the day-to-day -day, that I was able to focus on self-storage. So I was like, well, let's go build wealth faster instead of buying yeah. houses you know, one, two, three at a time. Let's go buy bigger and go bigger. And so we started doing self-storage. And um, our first mail campaign, we got a deal and just – Started off really, really easy, well for us. Easy, just like that. Yeah, it was. It's seller <laughs> financing. It was like 85% seller financing, 3% interest only, like solid deal. We just so sold it. You were already doing creative when you got into that. Yep. When did, let's just take a step back then. When were you guys doing creative? And we were, in 2017, we really put it into play and started buying assets ourselves and taking them down. in Florida? All in Florida at that time. All in Florida. So you're yep. buying properties in Florida using creative financing. Yep. Uh, and I bring this up because like it's a hot topic today, and it's been a hot topic for the last couple of years. Yeah, but you were doing it before it became like trendy. Yeah. So, uh, who helped you get good at creative? So obviously, I, I got the knowledge originally from Ronald Grand, but right. the guy who actually did really reignite it into me was mm. uh, Larry Harbolt. I don't know if you know who that is. He's out like Tampa, St. Pete. Don't recognize the name, but he was in Tampa. He has to be a guru. <laughs> right. And so uh, he was at like a local, he was like local to my market. So he would come to Orlando Rias and stuff. And I would, I met him there, bought his course. And he really is the one who kind of propelled it into me to like really take action with, with putting in those and, offers out. And I'm asking these questions because like, you know, we're in Collective Genius together. Yeah. And, you know, we had a breakout session and I got the honor or privilege to sit in the room. We were talking about creative and self-storage. Yeah. Right, it's like okay, that's cool because like I don't, I'm not an expert in either one. You got Alex talking about both of them, so it's pretty cool to see how that works. So, how simple was the transition? Just like I was asking you from timeshare to wholesale, how simple or difficult was that transition from creative on a house to creative on self storage? It's very similar, um, almost a little. It's it's not as easy. You just have to have the right seller. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't work for everybody. You know, right. that taking a creative offer is still got to find the right person that works for the for that person mm -hmm. um the ones that we have done that were creative so we bought so we've acquired nine self-storage facilities so far three of the deals have been creative financing mm -hmm. all those gentlemen are wanting to retire yeah so it's not like they needed a big chunk of money i've talked to other sellers that i bought properties from for storage where they're selling this and they want to go develop this land mm -hmm. so obviously a lot of times that might not work because they need yeah, that they, capital yeah to go put it into place for retirement it does make sense because you could uh, avoid that big you know, tax hit that mm -hmm. they would take and they get still, they like that income each month because that's right. what they were getting with their self storage facility. So if we can provide that to them, you know, by structuring seller finance terms, then it makes sense for them. And you're just trying to find the win-win. 
Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, Eddie, uh, Eddie Speed, yeah. right? Someone I look up to as well. And he basically made it pretty simple. If they have a money problem, the cash offer. Yeah. If they have a real estate problem, the creative offer. And that's more or less has been your experience. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about your very first self-storage deal. Okay. Right? Like, hey, you know what? Let's start doing self-storage. So I know typically we talk about, you know, doing your first real estate deal, but it seemed like that wasn't as difficult so long after you quit your job. Yeah. Your, self, your first self-storage deal. Uh, I know you sent out your first mailer, <laughs> your first batch of mailers, and you got a deal. Yeah. How complicated was that transaction? Um, it wasn't because prior I got coaching. Mm-hmm. So I got coaching, and I knew the questions to ask. I knew how to underwrite them, what to look for, where the add value was, mm-hmm. uh, how to look at a, a profit and loss statement and see where we can you know, cut expenses, increase the income. And so I had the knowledge um, beforehand to do mm-hmm. so, and that gave me the confidence to go out there and make offers. And um, obviously it's a learning curve. We were learning stuff along the way that probably yeah. could have done differently and could have been better. You know, sure. We could probably have added more value than we did on mm-hmm. that property. Um, but overall, it was a very smooth process. I like to, especially starting a brand new thing like asset class like self-storage like i wanted to know everything so like i super educated myself but then when we bought the property like i literally slept on the floor like two nights in a row i wanted to see like what's it like at night like does people come by what's going on like and i literally want to know everything about the business in in the in the luckily (laughs) this one has an office but it had no couches or anything (laughs) like that i literally went to like a dollar store and bought like pillows and blankets and stuff (laughs) okay so i mean you're committed Super committed. Sleeping in the office yeah. at a potential property you're going to buy. Yeah. Got it. So, and, and I like this, right? You were saying before you even went off on your own, even though you were working for somebody else, you were investing in your own personal development. 100%. Which is absolutely key, something I'm very passionate about. Um, so you got mentorship from someone that's already uh, doing this. Yep. And, you know, there's this fine line, you know, we talk about, you got to take action. Get out there, go make a mess. Right. There's that line. Yeah. And then there's this other line of like, before you do it, go learn from somebody that's already done it. Where do you draw that line? I mean, it sounds like you already made that line, but how did you come to, to the decision that you made? Yeah, I definitely am like uh, someone who likes to learn. So mm-hmm. I always do that first. But I think what a lot of people mess up on is they try to learn everything before mm-hmm. they start. You know, let me go through this whole course before I do anything. You know, it's like, hey, if you chapter one is marketing, like start marketing. So I talked to somebody else like speed of implementation is like the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You start you you pick something up and it's valuable, like put that into action immediately as quick as possible and then start learning the rest. I think that's a better way to go. So you have to have some knowledge. Otherwise, you know, you can be successful by accident, Mm -hmm. you know, with probably a good positive mindset about things. But you got to have some education and that's definitely going to help you skip the line and get there where you want to go further faster. Yeah. Another thing too, is like, you know, we didn't really touch on this moment ago, but like you went and worked for somebody at Aria that you met. Yeah. And that's something like we have so many people reach out like, Hey, where should I start? And I feel like my answer is never heated, which is like, go work for somebody. Yeah. Right. Like go learn from someone who's actually doing it because you know, this, we are in this business. Yeah. It's hard. For you and I to look out into the social media spectrum and figure out who's real and who's not. We're in this business yeah. and we can't tell who's real and who's not. 100%. How can someone 
who's not in this business know <laughs> who's uh-huh. actually doing deals or not? There's no HUDs. There's no, or there's not, <laughs> not there's no HUDs. There's no public records. Like the MLS, yeah. if you're a realtor, I do 30 deals a year. I do 100 deals a year. No problem. We go to MLS. Yep. All right. Is, is Steve doing 30 deals a year? Or is he not? On a wholesale, there's no <laughs> record of you really in it. You know, right. unless, unless you do show the HUDs. 100%. We've had some young people uh, work with us. And mm-hmm. then, like, they see success, a little bit of success. And they're like, oh, I could do this on my own. It's like, you're only dealing with, like, acquisitions. Like, you ain't dealing with the back end, the marketing, pulling the list, doing all this stuff. And then when on social media, when you see everybody crushing it, they're only showing their success. Right. You know, so, and I'm guilty of it, too. It's not like we're always showing, like, the bad stuff happens. We try to here and there. But, you know, it's so, you know, people don't even realize what, what it does take. Right. So. All right, so you invested and then you went into this. Uh, how close? Because pro forma is a funny thing, <laughs> right? So before, actually, before I even ask ask this question, since you're in the commercial world, can you explain simply what pro forma is? The pro forma is like your projections of what the property is going to do. Yeah. And so um, the immediate, like one year projection for me is like the most important. What can I do immediately to this property within a short time period, mm-hmm. plus like a year or less? where I can add as much value and where is the property going to be worth at that point in time. Right. And then that way I can say, okay, is this deal worth it? Almost like looking at a rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have a house, I buy it for this, I'll fix it up, I'm going to sell it for this. Right. But after, beyond that, you know, you kind of have to use like um, industry standards of like rent increases are 5% per year or 3% mm-hmm. per year, along with expenses increasing 3 to 5% per year. Right. You know, um, even though self-storage has had rents increase to like 12, 15%, Per year in 2020 and 2021, 2022, you know, it's that's not the standard. So right. you have to use, you know, standards in the industry to kind of use your projections, but it's also just you know, kind of a guess, mm-hmm. you know, in reality, because we don't know what's going to happen with interest rates or, you know, anything else in the world, really. Right. So it's all kind of just a projection. So um, when you bought this, you reached out directly to the owner. So was it listed on LoopNet or CoStar? No, it was direct mail piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally he said, and this is like why well, I think you can speak your wife into existence, is he literally told us the night before he told his wife he should sell the property. And then the next morning he's like, I never checked my mail. Today I checked my mail and it was your postcard, your, your letter. I got your letter and we called you and got it. the fit. How close were your projections to the final numbers. Yep. So we just sold it. So we were super ahead of projections, mm-hmm. like very ahead of projections. We're very conservative when we do our underwriting for these types of deals. And luckily, we structured the deal great. And mm-hmm. then there was so much add value so so immediately that we turned a five-cap deal, which was a, really a seven-cap market. Mm-hmm. And we got that five-cap property into a 12-cap in like six months. So taking a step back for everyone that's listening, <laughs> caps. What is a five, a seven, a 12-cap? So a, a cap rate is essentially like if you bought the property all cash, uh, it's your cash on cash return, mm-hmm. essentially. And so we were new to self-storage and new to this market in Sebring, Florida. So we called brokers in the area like, what would a property, a self-storage property, trade for in this market? Mm-hmm. And they said a seven cap. So meaning that people in this area buying self-storage, if they bought it all cash, they would want a 7% cash on cash return for that asset. Mm-hmm. Um, these sellers wanted a five cap, which is like 30% higher price than what was the market price would be. Mm -hmm. But we were willing to pay that price, one, because we got good terms, and number two, there was immediate add value that didn't really 
require um, capital expenditures. They didn't re really require putting more money into the property. Got it. So it was like um, for, for the house perspective, it was like, um, like a hotel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it was just, it didn't require very much work and yeah. you can create, immediately sell yeah. it for more. Exactly. Well, paint, little lipstick, stuff like yeah. that. For us, it was, he had a tree company that was utilizing uh, this large uh, single story building. Mm. And so he sold the business, which is why he sold the self storage because it was on one uh, parcel. And they ran the self storage as this just extra income. They weren't really trying to maximize that. They had a very successful tree business. So they sold the tree business. They move out. We moved a tenant in for like $17.50 a, a month. That drastically increases the value of the property, mm. increases the income. And then we had so the rent was pretty much 50% below market. So we were able to, we did all the add value first because mm -hmm. uh, it was right in the middle of COVID. And then we increased everybody's rent. Literally one lady moved out who had three units. Everybody else stayed. And we literally just doubled the rent. So it was immediate add value without really having to do much else. Got it. And so you said like two and a half years ago. So like you just exited this property. We sold it on February 28th. <clears throat> so this is not a simple flip. Um, it, we probably could have sold it right away. Mm -hmm. um, but my intention getting into the self-storage was never to, to sell them. Like I was like, I have my wholesale business. That makes me money. Like I want to hold these for long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. But when, um, from being in a mastermind with self-storage, these guys were all packaging uh, facilities and selling them off. And I was like, should, you know, should I be doing that? You know? And yeah. they're like, well, you got to look at your return on equity. You're making this much money per month on cash flow. If you sold it after costs and everything, what would you net? And so if you can net a million dollars and you're only making, you know, $30,000 a year, well, then you're making like 3% on your money. Mm -hmm. Could you make more than 3% if you had that million dollars cash? Mm -hmm. Yes, we can make, you know, 20 plus percent returns on, on a lot of deals. And so it makes only makes sense to sell that property unless it's like a class A facility that, you know, we feel like is a legacy asset where we're going to hold it for a long time. Yeah. You know, I'm young, I'm not retiring. It only makes sense to move it and buy something else bigger so, and maximize return. Being in a different room causes you to ask different questions. 100%, yeah. So you bought this with the intent, I'm going to hold this forever. Essentially. And then someone's like, hey, Alex, you're not realizing that the million dollars from this self-storage could yield a much better return elsewhere. Exactly. And that's the power of being in the right rooms. Exactly, 100%. So first deal... I mean, I don't think that's a grand slam. I think that's a World Series grand slam, right? <laughs> like a million dollars after a couple of years. How about your second, third, and fourth? Yep. So um, we still own our second property. Our third was in Lake Placid, and that was very close to Sebring. So mm -hmm. we had economies of scale because we used our uh, property manager uh, to manage the other property mm -hmm. as well. So we sold that one as a package uh, together. That one, I think, was like six, eight hundred thousand profit. Uh, we owned it like a year and a half. Um, so that one uh, was a great deal. Also, not a ton of ad value with work on, on mm -hmm. that one. That guy wanted to sell it and retire, but he wanted all his money because right. he was wanting to go overseas and all this stuff. And so on that one, it was literally he was utilizing like 12 units for himself, had family members in them that were, weren't paying, and his rents were slightly lower too. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was like getting all the people who weren't paying out, getting actual. Uh, customers in mm. raising rents we had to do some uh roofs and cut back the trees but not it was very easily done and you know we sold that one we doubled the value of that one as well in a year and a half so it sounds like for everyone that's listening like self-storage is really easy <laughs> uh it's it's not it's 
it is actually uh, the rehab's not as like the add value could be very easy. You know, expansions probably the the more difficult part of uh, adding value to a property. Mm -hmm. But overall, you know, they're metal boxes, so there's right. only so much things you can do. There's no tennis, no toilets. You don't have to renovate the kitchen, the backsplash, and do this, and you don't have you know people essentially not paying you. You have to evict them. Like you have to do evictions on self storage, but it's not. It's a legal nightmare. It's not a legal nightmare. It's thirty days, and you'll know. Well, they haven't paid me. Where um, it's just easier to get them out. Right in a, in a self storage facility because I think uh, was it Fernando Fernando that was on the show right uh -huh. he was like yeah like self storage is just a no brainer because it just it just always as well and I think I can't, I'm trying to remember like he has some crazy thing it was like he had 50 million in cash now after I sold my last one what should I do right it's like is it just that easy yeah that's 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 good so all right so for everyone that's listening and I know we're talking about private money on today's episode and we're gonna get there right. But on the way to get the private money, it was a success track record in, no. in self-storage. So for someone that's listening right now, it's like, hey, I want to get into self-storage. What do they have to do to get into self-storage? Um, really, I would say educate yourself first. And there's plenty, obviously, we put up a lot of uh, value out there on YouTube. There's definitely other guys uh, coaching on uh, self-storage as well. Um, but every, most people who ask me about self-storage are like other wholesalers. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I typically tell them is like, it's just changing the list. All right. It's literally marketing sales, changing the list, asking different questions, different lead sheet with different information you got to ask. But essentially, it's the same process. Mm -hmm. You just have to know how to underwrite it. Uh, you know how to underwrite that asset and look at that profit and loss statement and just start doing the same thing you're already doing with wholesale. Okay, so changing who you're marketing to is a big thing. And you know, we just had uh, Cody Dover. He was in here. He came in the same time as you. Oh uh, yeah. Right. He's in CG Select. And he's like, yeah, you know, doing houses is fine and all, but land is more interesting because you can just add a zero to it. Um, so all you got to do is just change your list. Yeah. Right. And and I've actually said this might not be a popular opinion, but realtors and wholesalers are the same people. <laughs> they just market to different people. Yeah. Right. They just market to a different list. Right. But for all intents and purposes, they're doing the same thing. Right. Exit's different, but they're basically doing the same thing. See that. Right. And so you're just saying just market to a different list. All the other tools are the same, CRM, dialer. Yeah, CRM. Um, so we have to like retro. We have our, our custom CRM, so we had to like retrofit it a little bit for self storage, add some different tabs and whatnot. Um, but pretty much most CRMs are flexible enough that you can do that. Right. Um, dialer, same. Everything else, pretty much same. Same. So same tools. So then let's dive into the list then, right? Because we had we had Stratton on the show a couple months ago. Right, Daddy. Yeah, and he's. Having a wonderful time in Salisbury. Again, like yeah. it just seems like a gold rush at the moment, right? Yeah. So all he does is just pulls a list and just calls them. So what list do you pull if you want to get into self-storage? So uh, each area or city, county might be different, but sometimes it's, they're classified as mini warehouses. Mm -hmm. So there's like data providers like Data Axel, um, Info USA, that you can call those guys up and ask them like what's the category, mm -hmm. the code for self-storage facilities in this right. area. And they'll probably typically uh, advise you. But you might pay, pull like a mini warehouse stuff and you'll get, you know, weird stuff, like people's weird one-unit buildings and stuff mm. like that. But you just got to weed those processes out. You can actually build your own list with a VA, like mm -hmm. overseas, kind of going like on parcel maps and, and build your own list. Uh, we use Yardy Matrix, uh, which is, helps us get bigger facilities. They only really do 25,000 square feet and bigger. Mm -hmm. It's a very expensive, you know, 
yearly membership to have that. Um, that's been our most success, but we do direct mail. We cold call and do direct mail, but direct mail has been out of all, our nine deals have been eight of the deals through direct mail. Got it. The Yardi matrix. Yardi matrix. You want to spell that? Uh, y A R D I matrix. I talk about it a lot and I ask for, uh, a referral uh, fee, but no, they don't do that. They don't do that. <laughs> At least it reduce your cost. I <laughs> know. Uh, right. Something. Yeah. Okay. So. Pulling that list, and you know, we had a uh, Devin Robinson, right? He was at a uh, uh, Select a couple weeks ago, and man, he what he was sharing with me as far as AI goes, right? Like what we're doing today, actually, we're using one of the AI things that he he talked about right on today's show, yeah, yeah. Uh, to to chop up the video. Um, but he was talking about how there was a new one. I wrote it down somewhere. I have to find it. Where like you just tell AI this is what I want, and it'll tell you all the properties that match that criteria. Oh, sure. right, because they can just now they can just scrape public records easily, right? Because wow. before, like, you had to get bots and and all this other stuff. Now he's like, there's literally AI tools out there that say, go scrape this. This yeah. is what I want. And they can compile that list for you. I believe it. So the data companies are going to have a little bit of a crunch, yeah. I think, in the near future. Yeah, hopefully reduce some costs. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Okay, so then... Beyond the list, is there anything else? Like right now, someone's listening, right? And maybe their wholesaling business isn't where they want it to be. You know, last year, the year before, they're crushing it. This year, they're kind of, you know, trying to make ends meet. Yeah. How difficult would the transition be for someone that's, you know, had success in wholesaling, but right now is like treading water to transition into self-storage? I think it could be an easy transition, but you have to realize that like, Wholesaling is like immediate cash mm -hmm. money. And so the reason I didn't get started in self-storage earlier, earlier was like I needed capital. Like you need active goes, income. I need active income. This is more like I call it like my savings account. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to build it up and then eventually I'm going to get a big chunk of money. Mm -hmm. And you can charge acquisition fees when you're raising money and whatnot to get upfront capital. Mm -hmm. But typically, you know, you're going to pull that money back into your business anyway. So mm -hmm. It's maybe a little bit difficult, but if you have capital aside, you know, I've talked to people who are like, I want to get into wholesaling and they have money. I'm like, you should probably get into multifamily or self-storage or, or a bigger asset class. Yeah. So if you have capital and you have the, the wherewithal to not need the active income every month coming in, then I think going into a bigger asset class, whether it's self-storage, industrial, you know, multifamily yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. And Paul Sparks and I, we talk about this quite a bit in the Will Club, which is like, you should have two different income. You have one that's reliable. Yeah. Month in, month out, you're making money over here. Yeah. You can pay the bills with this one. Yeah. And over here, this is like the moonshots, right? Like, we don't know when this is going to pop. <laughs> when it pops, it's going to be real good. Yeah, I like that. Right? And yeah. that kind of sounds like what you're doing over here. For sure, yeah. yeah. I almost, because I'm like not so involved with the day-to-day -day of my wholesale operation, I tell a lot of people like, I feel like my wholesale business is almost like my passive income. Mm -hmm. Like, it's running, it's coming, I could, you know, project every single month like what we're going to get. And then we have rentals as well, but mm. I typically just keep that money aside. I don't really spend the, that passive income. Right. Um, but yeah, 100%. That, the wholesale money uh, is my day-to-day, -day, paying my bills, living life, and then the self-storage is like not depending on it, mm -hmm. but I know it's going to be big pops in the future. Right. So like it's inconsistent, but when it's great, it's amazing. That's uh, amazing. I had a good yeah. year. All right. So now the next part is the private money. So talk to me, right? Like... $30 million is a significant amount of money to raise, yeah. right? You don't just wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? I need about $30 million. 
So talk to me about this journey, how you went from, you know, wholesaling to, well, I guess, did you have private money before you did self-storage? Um, yes. So I got private money starting to do rehabs. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, one of my best friends was uh, doing really well with like internet marketing. Mm-hmm. And so he was my first lender. Uh, we were buying houses from like tax deed auction and then through our wholesale company, um, rehabs. And he would fund the whole deal. We split the deals 50-50, did a good number of deals with him. And then I... So before you continue, right? So everyone, everyone is listening. Because I think this is one of the things that people kind of get wrong. Where like, whether it's hard money, private money, whatever. It's like, when you're getting started, you don't need to make 80, 90% of the profits. Yes. You could start off in 50-50, right? If I got Alex's money, I'll source the deal, run the flip, deal with the subs, right? As a small operator, and then sell it on the MLS. I'll do all the work. Yeah. You fund the down payment, the closing costs, the rehab, the draws, and all these things. All right? Makes it super easy. I always say like a a little bit of something is better than 100% of nothing. So if you get a piece of it, you get experience, you build up track record, Mm -hmm. then you can maybe start being a little bit more demanding or try to change the terms. But whatever you got to do to get that first deal, start utilizing people's capital to get yourself, propel yourself forward. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. So when I started off, everything was 50, 50. And then we evolved to 70, 30. And then we evolved now. It's just 10% of uh, interest that we borrow. Yeah. Right. No. And they still fund everything, right? The down payment, the closing costs, the the rehab. And it's just 10%, no payments until we close again. Yep. So you start off 50, 50 with an internet marketing guy. That's a friend of yours. Yep. Okay. Continue. Uh, So after that, um, through uh, a lady that I sold, properties to I sold a couple of her properties that were rentals in like Kissimmee Point Siena uh she actually asked me do you ever borrow people's capital to do deals like you just sold these four houses I got this capital sitting here and I was like yes I do so I had the track record mm-hmm. uh, so I went to her house pitched her these are deals we've done bought and sold um this is what we can do for you this is what it looks like we have a mortgage and no um lender's policy insurance policy this is how you're protected mm-hmm. and then she lent me some money Mm-hmm. Did a deal with her and then did another deal with her. She gave me a referral for somebody, uh, did a deal with her and the, her friend. And then she's like, well, uh, bring the deals to me first before you bring them to my friend. <laughs> and I was like, okay, no problem. So I started bringing her deals and she a lot of times never said no. And so I just kept building a relationship with her mm-hmm. and we did a mobile home park deal. She went to us on that as an equity partner. And we just started doing a lot more deals together here and there. I had some other investors on the side, but majority of that $30 million has been from her, single investor, where we've been just turning her money on different rehabs, new builds, um, mobile home parks, mm-hmm. self-storage now. So really, it was one, one person, which is a friend, the person that you bought her properties, a referral. I mean, really, there's like three main players got you $30 million. 100%. And actually, right before I, I met her, going back to like uh, ma- like manifesting your life, I went to a, a private money boot camp with uh, mm-hmm. Alan Cowgill mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. Went to that boot camp. Talk- he talked about writing down your goals and what you're going to accomplish and how much you're going to raise. And wrote down my goals, speaking my goals in the morning, manifesting it. She calls me. And it was, my goal was like, I'm going to raise 500 grand in the next 90 days. She calls me and she's like, uh, do you ever borrow money for, for, for investing. Mm. Like literally you can speak your life into existence. So right. that what is what actually I feel like propelled me to get to her. And then that has led to right. many millions of dollars. The key though, there's a few different things here. 
is a track record. Yep. And doing what you said you were going to do. Yeah. Which sounds really easy. <laughs> but for some reason, it, 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 it's not how it works. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I've had the unfortunate situation where I was dragged into a lawsuit, which I had no responsibility in, because yeah. there was another influencer in our space, right, who borrowed money and then didn't pay his private money person back. Wow. Right? And this was not like a small amount of money. It was like a quarter million dollars. And I got dragged into it. It was like, wow, like people you think should have their stuff together yeah. don't ne- and teach it and, yeah. and get paid while teaching it Wow, don't necessarily... <laughs> Yeah, that's terrible. Have their stuff together, right? So, yeah. So, do what you say you're going to do is a big, big thing. Yeah, I, I lost, um, not tremendously, but there was a deal where it took too long. We put so much money. We overdid it. Didn't mm-hmm. get the price we wanted. I was gonna. I lost, I think, like six, nine grand. She made like $40,000. Mm-hmm. And so, she got paid in full exactly what she wanted to get. She was supposed to get. We just did a refinance on a property. I had to put 20K into the refinance. I owned this property for like three years on mm-hmm. a rehab. Massive issues. Contractor stole from me. Code violations. Getting shut down with, you know, reg tagged. And she got all her money. She got everything. I'm still on the property. Luckily, you know, appreciation has helped. But, right. you know, I have a lot of my personal money into the deal. But she's fully paid. They and get paid. And taken care of. Always. Yeah. I mean, I had a situation. I've talked about it uh, last year where, you know, we got caught with a few properties. With the you know yeah. massive correction in Phoenix, and uh, I called the lender. It's like, hey, um, you know, on this deal, I just want you to know, uh, I'm really short on this one, right? Like, I think between three properties, we lost seventy grand last year, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was like, hey, look, uh, I'm gonna need you to carry this note for like at least another month after we close, right? So I think after we close, uh, I still owed her like thirty-seven k, which we paid her the next month, right? But it was an adult conversation, communication. Hey, uh, so here's the situation we're in, right? We're in a nuclear winter right now in real estate, at least in the Phoenix market. And we got hosed on this deal and we don't have a ton of revenue coming in. Give me a month. I'll make you whole. Oh. And I think it ended up being five weeks. Like, hey, can I just have one more week? Yeah, right? If you communicate and, and you tell them what's going on, they're more typical willing to work with you. Right. You just have to have those conversations. Yeah, nothing, nothing drives people crazier than silence. For sure. Right. Because then they start making up their own stories and like, what's going on with my money? Am I yeah. going to find this guy and so on? So, um, we talked about this. We touched on this, right? So, we're in collective genius together. Yep. And um, you would not leave me alone when we were playing <laughs> basketball. So, I think you were talking to Aaron about that earlier. Yeah. So, talk to me about, because you, you said, you know, Preston Ely, Ron LeGrand, uh, you're going to something in Idaho next week. Like, you're, Constantly out there yeah. working on yourself. What's so important about working on yourself? It's like, um, <laughs> it's, it's everything, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what you don't know. And so in the beginning was like, I thought I was doing good, but there's all these people doing a lot better. And like, yeah. oh, wow. Like, you have to be open to that experience. You got to mm-hmm. know, you're never going to know, like, self-storage is a thing, or this is going good, or you can be this successful, or you can do bigger deals um, unless you get into those right rooms. Mm-hmm. And so I continue to educate myself because every time I go to an event, there's just a little tweak, a little something that just can exponentially grow the business and or just the right connections, being mm-hmm. in the right rooms with those right people who 
you know, we'll fund the next deal or bring you in as a partner on this deal. So I made uh, great relationships with uh, people in those masterminds, like lifelong friends, mm-hmm. um, or our families travel together now and, and, and those types of things. And then the education is, is nonstop. Like every time I'm in those rooms, I pick up something, we implement it, game changer, and it just helps us propel forward. Uh, you know, it's accountability as well. Yeah. You know, you're in those rooms with those guys and you say, you're going to go on stage and say, I'm going to do this, this, and this. This is mm-hmm. what I'm working on. And then the next quarter or whatnot, if you're not doing it, if you're not propelling forward, they're going to keep you accountable. Right. So it's uh, accountability. It's pushing yourself forward. It's getting the right mindset. And then staying in touch with what's going on in the market. Because mm-hmm. like a lot of those guys are like very high level also. And they know like they see what's changing. They see what's working, what's not working. So just being on top of, you know, your business and being all in. Yeah. And I like, again, like the example you used a moment ago where like you intended to buy and hold this property, but someone's like, well, if you got a million dollars in equity here and you're making 30,000, like that's pretty good, but that's not, that's not what you can do on your own. If you had a million dollars in your cash in your hand. Return on equity was never a word I even heard before. Yeah. And I've been in real estate and finance (laughs) for a while. Right. Yeah. You talk about these different things when you're in different rooms, right? Like I, I saw a couple notes here. We didn't really talk about it, but like initial rate of return. Right, like you don't learn about this stuff in college, Ugh. right? You might watch some YouTube videos on it, on it, but like when someone says IRR, like I will what, <laughs> right? So yeah. being in the right room has definitely helped you out. And you know, we got to get you know in and out uh, with uh, with Fitzgerald, yeah, <laughs> right. At our last event, he came in at like twelve forty, uh, long walk, couple miles, yeah, in and out, get in and out, and we couldn't even get a freaking Uber. It was so far. Like we we walked to in and out, and we couldn't take an Uber back. Um, and then somewhere along the way, you um, started a call center. Yes. Well, I'm assuming media. Yeah. Uh, what was the reasoning for starting a cold calling center? So we actually just wanted to do it ourselves. So um, in 2019, at Raph Vargas's event, um, one of my other lenders was mm-hmm. my business partner now, Scott mm-hmm. Scott Morris. He would fund deals with me to buy and hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a very successful business. He would fund a bunch of deals. He's like, oh, like, how can we do more business together? I went to that event. He used to have like a call center in Fort Lauderdale. I sold leads to folks as well. And so that business ended for him. And he wanted, and I went to Raf's event. I was like, yo, this is how we can probably do business together. Cause we weren't doing cold calling at all. I'm like, these guys are doing cold calling. Like, we can kind of replicate your operation mm-hmm. and, you know, do a lot of leads. Uh, and we're just thinking about it for ourselves. Um, so he, we were, we sourced some cold callers in Colombia. Uh, never really worked out. We actually flew to Colombia, trained them up, but then they just went south. Like they just yeah. weren't, they weren't that great. So he's like, "I'm gonna move to Colombia, and I'm gonna build an office for ourselves. We'll get like ten people for ourselves." And this is like right before COVID, and so it was going good for us. And then uh, through social media, someone reached out to me about trying to uh, help them go from rehabbing to wholesaling and like be like their mentor. And so we helped them, you know, start a wholesale operation. And they're like, well, how do we get cold callers? Like, can you just, you know, have cold callers? Can you just get us some cold callers? I'm like, yeah. So we're like, okay. So we did that. They were super successful. And it kind of just spread out word of mouth. We didn't yeah. have it done, like, really any marketing at all for our call center. And through speaking at it at Masterminds, and then one or two people use us, they're doing successful. Then all these other people want to start utilizing us. And it just kind of built a business. We actually yeah. thought about building the CRM business. Mm-hmm. But actually talking with Ken Clothier, um, who's one of the masterminds I'm in, he's like, there's a reason I'm not in that business. The business that you should be in is this call center. I'm like, do right. this. And so we 
kind of put went full force on that and started really growing that business out um, all through word of mouth and just providing great service. Gotcha. Um, so running a call center, I have multiple fears. <laughs> uh, so when you're running a call center, it's two different things, right? First, you've got to manage VAs. And so you're managing VAs, like, there's a lot of things we can control, right? Um, systems, processes, and all these other things. But the one thing we can never control, at least you shouldn't be able to control, right? Are other people. Yeah. So you got VAs in Colombia. So what actually makes us a lot different, they're all under one roof. Right. So they come to office. They're not VAs. They're like essentially team members for us. You know, they're not virtual assistants. They're coming into office. They're team members. And Scott literally lives out there. So mm-hmm. he's there managing the day-to-day. So this is an he's actual um, brick-and-mortar operation. Yep, 12,000 square feet. We just moved into a very new office uh, overlooking the city. Awesome setup, mm-hmm. great culture. He's, he's built a machine like this before. So it's literally, he knows what he's doing. He has departments, the teams, the team leads. Like he's, he's a beast that for the culture he's created over there and the jobs we've been able to create where uh, literally architects and engineers will work for us calling because they can make just as much money there with mm-hmm. us doing full calling compared to their job as a, a professional you know, architect. Right. It's crazy. So that's the first fear. So you guys have that figured out with a brick and mortar. Second fear, um, when the leads aren't good, it's your fault, right? So I did some lead gen for a while. Huh. I want to say like in 2016, around there, right? And like I get complaints like the leads are no good. I was like, no, these leads are pretty good because I'm closing these leads. This is how I run my business. Yeah. The leads are good. Yeah, It might be you, right? So how do you deal with someone that I guess has one of two things, right? Either complain about the lead quality when it's their data yep. or B again, going through what we had last year, decide not to pay their bills anymore. Yeah. So we have, um, so Scott says, I want all the smoke. Like give me, let buy the data from us. Like mm-hmm. I, if it's my fault, I want it to be our fault. Okay. You know, so you guys are providing the data as well. So we also have a data company, skip trace company, so mm-hmm. we can do everything for you. Uh, we'll also obviously take your data and, and call your data for you and everything else. But, um, to say, hey, it's it's us. Like, let us pull the data. Let us do everything for you, and we'll we're gonna make you successful. Mm-hmm. But then also, you gotta make sure they're calling the leads. Are they right. doing what they're doing? Are mm-hmm. they do they know how to close? And so the way we kind of get around that a lot of times is we are very strict on who we take. So Got if it. you don't have an operation, if you don't have a back end, if you don't have a processes and systems in place to get deal flow, because the way we do cold calling is more like almost PPC type leads. Mm-hmm. Like they're highly qualified leads and so you need to have people ready for like live transfers who are on the leads right away and it's not something where you know you get what we call like a heartbeat in the home you're just getting your own data back confirmed that someone picked up the phone and you're yeah. like hey this is this is Susie, but she has no why you don't have a price or anything like we're qualifying these leads so mm-hmm. for our office in uh orlando we're like one in 16 one in 15 with our cold call leads got it so we've talked a lot about Wholesale, self-storage, and cold calling. It appears in this conversation you're more passionate about the cold calling than you are the self-storage. Is that – am I reading this right or am I completely off? Oh, completely off. I <laughs> Scott does everything with the cold calling. I don't really do much. What I love about it is how well we uh, – how well Scott has built a machine over there. Got like it. He has uh, helped us build a better culture and business 
for our offices in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Self-storage is my passion. Like, I love self-storage. It's great. I'm continuing. It's super exciting to be able to go full cycle on three deals. And we got uh, three deals. We're working on a development deal in uh, Tallahassee where we already own the property and we're expanding uh, that asset. So we're doing a syndication raise on that right now. Got it. And then we have uh, three deals under contract right now that are all also seller financing. So I love and self-storage. Want to continue to grow that business. Mm-hmm. That's where my future and and that's where I'm leading the company. That's what makes sense to me. 100%. Yes. I'm just saying based off the energy level here. It <laughs> seems like you like the cold call. I was like, ah, that's weird. <laughs> no, no, no. For sure. Self-storage for sure. Um, Scott gives me uh, excitement. Scott, if you've met Scott before, yeah, Scott, yeah, yeah, he's very energetic. So it just he rubs off on me when I talk about it. <laughs> I'm just kind of regurgitating what he says. Got it, got it. Okay, so you know, thinking back to when you started off with your brother in your first year, just wholesaling, versus where you are today, like how different is your life? Night and day, yeah. From working out of our house that he lived with me in, um, two separate computers, and kind of like running from appointment to appointment because all face-to-face sales mm-hmm. at that point we were doing to now where we're picking up, you know, last month we picked up 54 deals where we didn't see any of them. Mm-hmm. And I literally don't know any of the addresses, you know, uh, of those properties. And he handles all that. And I'm literally able to focus on raising money, finding uh, self-storage deals, kind of growing another business and kind of replicating what we grew for the wholesale operation. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking to do with this wholesale, uh, with the self-storage business is kind of replicate that and same model mm-hmm. and just start building the team for self-storage so we can continue to grow that uh, business and you know, take over. My name is Ryan Weimer with OfferNow Idaho, and this is why you should join Ren and Steve's sales training. We run a seven-figure wholesaling operation out of Boise, Idaho with about 16 team members. We were struggling with accountability. We were struggling with deal flow. We, will, we were struggling with overall consistency in our business. This sales leadership training has been completely life-changing for us. Uh, it's netted us over six figures already just in the three months that we've been doing it. It's gonna net us well over seven figures in our first year uh, doing it with them. Um, really what it gave us was clarity. We were struggling for years and years to really identify what our problem was for why we couldn't scale it to where we wanted to scale it and it turned out we had a people problem we were always like is it a process problem is it a people problem are we just not good leaders are we not cut out for this it made it very clear we had a people issue and ren and steve gave us the the structure to implement as of today we have 19 signed contracts in our pipeline which is our highest ever at one given time um why doing this with ren is so amazing ren is just if you want to level up your team, like sign up with Ren. This guy has a completely different charisma than anyone you've ever been around. He's your guy if you want to have massive success. Um, my only regret is not doing this sooner. I think it's probably cost us uh, multiple six figures, uh, a lot of sleepless nights, some self-doubt, anguish about ourselves and like wondering if we, why we weren't doing things correctly. Like. Really, if we had implemented this years ago, we'd be so much further ahead right now. So I can't recommend this enough. Really, if you're on the fence, you should be asking yourself, like, what is the opportunity cost of me not doing this? Because it's substantial. Got it. What has been your biggest victory, right? Or some of your biggest victories from, getting, again, starting to where you are today? Where are the ones you, you, know, you look back and you're like, man, I can't believe we did that. Um, you know, I think uh, starting to build a team and culture in our office is a, is a huge victory. Like a lot of uh, people talk about turnover um, with the acquisitions. Like we, 
we have some turnover, but we have a core group of, of acquisition agents who've been with us for three, three plus years where, you know, they're growing with us. We're trying to, you know, provide different opportunities where they're doing self-storage with me as well. They're locking up deals with self-storage yeah. and we want to continue to grow that up. Um, and so that's been a very, you know, uh, important to us, like building a team because before it was just me and my brother doing mm -hmm. everything. And so that's a huge win. And then just kind of being very successful in self-storage, like going into that marketplace and that different asset class and having great success, um, being able to do what we've done already. But there's so much more to do, like being in those rooms. I'm like, you know, I know Fernando and stuff like that, like they're, they're crushing it on that. And right. that's because they're so focused with self-storage. I've only been doing this for two and a half years. So I'm going all in in self-storage and making sure that's my, my all that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to continue to grow that business. What freedom does real estate afford you? Um, it allows us to, you know, spend time with my family and travel and, and have, you know, uh, real great experiences, memorable experiences with my daughter, my wife, my parents, where we can pretty much go wherever we want and, and enjoy life and see new things and experience new things. And um, that's what I like most about it. Um, and then it also allows us to, um, you know, create jobs like, being able to create 200 jobs in, in Columbia, yeah. pretty huge, um, you know? And so um, it's awesome. It's great. What is your why? My why is family. Like family, um, you know, memories, uh, bringing um, our family together and just being able to do whatever we want. Like two weeks, we're going to go to a place in, on the beach, on the water, bring my whole family out there to have a great time take care of everything, you know, no worries and, you know, have, know that the businesses are running um, without, you know, where I can fully focus on just being with the family, not having to look at my phone and, and do that. And so my family is my why. Um, but I also like being able to help other people grow their businesses. So mm -hmm. like I've had several mentees who have been very successful and, and growing. So it's also awesome to be able to pour into other people and see them grow and see them succeed and, yeah. and start taking down assets, start building million dollar companies. Like that's, a, 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 I love that as well. Oh, you're saying your whole family. What is, what is your whole family to, to go to the beach? Um, so it's like my parents, uh, my sister, her kids, my wife, my daughter, my brother, his wife, his kids. So like, that's it's, like it's the, the core, whole family. The core, it's core family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I mean, that's huge, right? Like, yeah. uh, we haven't done it again. Uh, uh, we didn't do it last year, but you know, the year before, you know, being able to go to Hawaii for like a whole week, right, with the kids and my parents and her parents, yeah. and it's like, it is dope. Yeah. It's hard for me as an entrepreneur <laughs> to enjoy it for more than two or three days, but yeah. it was cool to be able to do that. I'm always working a little bit. I always bring my laptop and I wake up earlier than everybody else. So I'm just banging out work and, you know, that's what that. I was doing. They're yeah. like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just can't. <laughs> disconnect yeah we went to the maldives for our honeymoon and my wife's like you can't bring your laptop i'm like i'm obviously bringing my laptop like <laughs> you get ready i'll i'll do work You're right good. uh what is your biggest struggle right now um the big struggle is like trying to find like higher always like better team members you know mm -hmm. looking to um grow especially in the self-storage business like people who have maybe experience in self-storage growing that team there and not having to so just finding good good people yeah. I think it's tough. Uh, what are you doing about that? Um, I'm putting out ads. I'm talking to people in masterminds and getting referrals. I get some referrals from uh, I guess like a storage company just let off a bunch of people. I got some referrals there. Missed some people by like a, uh, like a day, a week mm -hmm. on some opportunities. They got hired quickly. So 
just continuing to go out there, talk about it, talk about what we're doing, and um, just trying to gauge interest and show what we're doing and putting that out there mm-hmm. and hopefully attract some some people. Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest thing consistently, right? Because we were saying earlier, like, the hardest thing is, is controlling, managing people. But the other thing, too, is, like, finding the good ones. Yeah. Um, it's just because, generally speaking, the good ones are taken. Yeah. Right? You got to poach almost. You got oh, you not almost. Like, you, you absolutely have to, yeah. have to poach. And yeah. that's the... That's that's the hardest thing. How do you stay motivated? Well, so go back real quick on that. Like, ju- I just was at like a local meetup, and someone was talking about like, hey, like this guy works for self storage. I think he would be good for you. Like, you know, he knows you, he follows you. Like, and some of these guys been with certain companies for for a long time, and they don't even get equity. I'd be like, I would bring someone over who has a lot of experience and give them a piece of equity. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there, you know, let me know. Um, but yeah, that that's what you gotta do. You gotta poach. Yeah, I mean, for us, you know, we like to have people participate in Upside, so it's profit share. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. That's the best way to get the best people. Yes. How do you stay motivated? Um, family. I think, you know, looking at my family and my mm-hmm. daughter and showing her, like, what we um, want and what we'd be able to travel and do everything we want to do. Like, I think, I think you know, I, I don't really feel like I need motivation. Like, I wake up and I'm like, I'm ready to grind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, kind of like you, like, two or three days, you're like, okay, well do something like uh, you know so like yeah. i'm very uh self-driven um and so i stay pretty motivated i want to like be successful i want to uh be the best so i try to be the best at everything i do and so um i think family would probably be the biggest impact to, to motivate me the why yeah and how will you measure success um i think i'm successful right now i think uh we've we're very successful um but there's always more and there's always better things you can do and mm-hmm. to be able to you know um, give back more to be able to uh, hire, you know, 200 people to 300 people to be able to you know, provide more jobs, more opportunities, not only for our staff, but for our family and friends and, and pour into other people. Um, I think uh, not only us being successful, but being having others be successful who work under us, alongside us, um, investors, employees, everybody seeing right. success. Uh, what is your superpower? Um, I think uh, my superpower is like speed of implementation, like getting a good idea and implementing it right away. So like, you know, I'm at masterminds where I pick up that one thing, like I'm like on it. I'm like, yo, Scott, just heard this. Let's, hey, you have to go do this. Let's do this, implement this. Um, like putting those things into action right away. Mm-hmm. When something like hits really good for us, like I'm like, oh, we got to do this. And like, I don't let anything stop. I'm like literally taking action right then and there. Mm-hmm. To, to make sure we implement whatever I just heard that was like that key thing that could help us. How do you know it's the right one to implement? Um, you never know. Like we've, we've uh, done some things where like, hey, let's do this. And it's like, mm, that didn't pan out so well or that didn't work out. But obviously you just got to recalibrate mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to mentors and people you can, you know, who are in your corner and say, hey, like we're trying to do this. Like what do you, you know, didn't really work out. What do you think? And it's like, oh, well, maybe for you that's not the the, the best thing to do. Like, Look at, look at something else. And so it's just learning. It's always learning. You're going to have some fail, failure, but you always got to fail forward. Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm just curious. Like, you go to these masterminds, you hear all these great ideas, and what happens is, like, you got, like, 18 great ideas. Yeah. So are you picking one and only one? For sure. One, two things, max, because there's definitely a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. And so sometimes when you have those one or two things, like, I might separate. I might, like, kind of, like, Walk off everything and kind of just focus on networking and building relationships rather than trying to like dive into like learning more, taking a lot more in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think building relationships in those masterminds is is 
very key in, in seeking that opportunity. Got it. What is your biggest reg- uh, regret in business? I think my biggest regret is not, um, I, I talked about this a lot, is um, on my social media, is those three years of me and my brother doing you know, five deals a month, mm-hmm. I wish I was, went bigger earlier. I mm-hmm. wish I got myself back into those rooms earlier mm-hmm. uh, so that way I could be where I am now three years ago. And then who knows where I've been. I think that's now. the same exact answer as Strat. I think you're just copying and pasting here. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you also Mark Evans? Uh, no, I'm not in that national market. Okay, because no. I think that's one that's like, I think that's like the biggest one in Mark Evans. Like, you got to think bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, ask another way is, you know, you work with a guy for three years, you're loyal, and then you do wholesaling for three years. Do you think, if you look back, could you have started self-storage earlier or that was just that track you had to take? Um, I could have started earlier. So in 2017 is actually when I first got uh, Scott Myers education stuff to learn self-storage. Um, but I never implemented it because I felt like I needed that income mm-hmm. coming. And I didn't. I wanted to go all in. Right. And so I f- didn't feel like I could go half in because at that point I had no team. It was me and my brother. And I was going on appointments. So if I started doing self-storage, well, where, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to live? You know. So right. um, that was like my... Um, I wish I should have been better at saving money <laughs> at that point in time and not just like spending it all every time mm-hmm. I came in spending it. Um, and if I was in a different position with capital, I think I probably could have went self-storage earlier and then obviously been way more ahead. Got it. How did you learn your greatest lesson? Um, greatest lesson. Greatest lesson. So I think just, I, so being my greatest lesson being, I should have went bigger, faster, you know, that I would say just by doing where I'm, where I'm at now and saying, damn, it was not that hard, mm-hmm. you know? So by implementing what I learned and what I see other people doing, I can say like, wow, like I should have done this a lot earlier. And it's only now makes more sense to continue to go bigger and bigger, like mm-hmm. seek bigger opportunities. Right. So, you know, you're already doing some pretty big things. So if you're talking about bigger opportunities, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about now 100,000 square foot self-storage sites? Or are we talking about different asset classes? What does that mean? So same asset class, but just doing more and going after bigger ones. So mm-hmm. like a lot of the ones we bought before were like 15,000 to like 25,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. We just closed our biggest one in um, May. That was outside of Houston. That's 80,000 square feet on seven acres. Got like 200 parking spots. That was also seller financing. Like so going after those bigger assets and then just doing more of them. We're building that one in Tallahassee I mentioned. That's going to be uh, 80,000 net rentable square feet as well. So doing the bigger deals because they're roughly the same. It's just a different, like a zero at the end of it. Right. But the process is the same. The, the legwork's the same, essentially. And just really focusing on and putting, you know, manifesting and, and putting into my goals the acquisition of bigger assets and just trying to do more of them. Gotcha. Uh, which failure did you learn the most from? Um... I probably learned some failures from like hiring, you know, um, the first couple hires were awful, like bad assistants mm-hmm. just didn't go anywhere. I'd hire assistant, but still do everything. And like, you know, so just really, I think with, um, um, uh, there's these other guys similar to predictive index team architects, like mm-hmm. uh, utilizing those, um, systems and those, uh, personality tests to hire the right people and put them in the right seats, I think was like, a big change for us mm-hmm. because I would literally hire whoever and then a family member or this, uh, you know, my brother's probably the only family member that worked out You know, everything else is kind of like, eh. 
So just hiring is probably the best, the, the, that one part. Um, what resource helped you get better at hiring? What resource? Um, so both those two. So Team Architects. So um, in Boardroom Mastermind I'm in, there's a company. Uh, it's called Team Architects. Very similar to like Predictive Index mm-hmm. um, where you can, but they have like avatars. So like they have like acquisition avatar where they take this test and it lets you know if they um, fit that avatar. And so it's probably similar to Predictive Index. We just started utilizing Predictive mm-hmm. Index ourselves. Um, but Team Architects is probably the, the thing that really got me started with hiring the right people. Yeah. I was on a call yesterday with a mentee um, and he, he also has other people that uh, he, he mentors, right? And so he's like, hey, you know, someone asked me, like, should I get predictive, predictive index? Like, well, I don't know. Like, depends on the situation. Like, tell yeah. me about their situation. And he said, you know, there are a couple of guys who are doing this, like, crazy number. It's like, oh, yeah, they should definitely have predictive index. <laughs> right? And there's other people like, yeah, you're hiring, like, a first or second person. You don't need predictive index, yeah. right? It's nice to have, but you don't need it, right? But, yeah, at, at the end of it, I was basically saying, like, I would never hire another person ever again if I didn't have predictive index because it's so Oh. key in letting me know what I'm about to get into, what this relationship is going to look like. Oh. Not exactly, but we have a pretty good idea, right? Yeah, so on the Team Architects one, like this guy had a lot of timeshare experience. Mm-hmm. He scored terrible on this test saying he was going to be good. what's a good sales acquisition guy. And he, we're like, man, like, let's give him a try. You know, we're like, he's got the experience. He's saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. We put him in there, and it was like right away you knew, like after a week, two weeks of training, we're like, this is not a fit. Like we yeah. should have listened to the, to the <laughs> test, you know? Yeah. And so it, it, they work, it works, you know? So you gotta, those right tools to put mm-hmm. people in the right seats. Definitely got to utilize. Yeah, that's absolutely key. What book have you gifted more than any other? Um, Thinking Grow Rich, I think is the book that I've actually given. Probably the only book I've actually given to people. Um, what kind of feedback do you get from that? Um, unfortunately, some of them were giving it to friends. That I'm trying to like bring up mm-hmm. and, Honestly, I don't even know if they read it. Yeah. Um, I think my brothers uh, probably you know implemented it, but it's it's some of the people don't think don't get it. You know, unfortunately. Yeah. When I bring that up, because I've had like that's one of the books that I, like I love. Yeah. I love this book, and there are people that are like don't, and it's like yeah. they don't finish it, yeah. and it's like the one of the biggest lessons in the book is whether you can finish something. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, so you can't finish a book whose lesson is about finishing things, yeah, right? And so, uh, and and again, that's the reason why I asked the question because, like, I've suggested it, and they're like, that's a tough read, to which I was like, oh, that sucks for you. (laughs) Yeah, man, I could have put it down. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And I was like, I literally, in my past, I put a thing about, like, buying all those books and, like, giving it to schools. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, like, something I would have wanted to do in the future because it's such a, like, it just opens your mind to, like, what's really possible. Exactly. So I want you to think about some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with. Uh, guys, uh, you know, as we said, we, dis- we just launched our sales community. Um, you know, a lot of different people will push things that will help you do more deals. And I think that's great. At the same time, we believe that sales is more crucial today than ever before. And the reason why... Is- not as many people push sales training, I believe, is because it's harder to teach and it's easier to just sell your product. Again, I genuinely believe that if you can learn sales skills, you will make a lot more money faster. You were in timeshare. Would you agree with this? 1,000%. Right. Oh. So, salesdisruptors.com, 
if you're interested, we've got a community. We have about 100 people in there now. Sales assassins across the country. We're doing two or three trainings a week. You guys should be in there. And also you have access to my sales masterclass, which we normally charge $3,000 uh, for. And then, you know, subscribe. Don't keep us a secret. Alex and I talked about some wide range of topics. But I think topics that would be helpful for a good chunk of you guys, whether you're doing self-storage or not, I think there's a lot of good information here that might be helpful. Help us reach more people. And then make sure you tune in next week. We got Chris Burrow coming on the show. Um, so last thoughts. What would you like to leave all the listeners with? Um, I think it's my superpower, and you can implement it in your life, is speed of implementation. Mm-hmm. Like someone talks to you about real estate, you get, you're interested in it, like take action. Start, start doing the actions that it takes to be successful. Start talking to people. Start making offers. Uh, there's so many people. I think the number one thing I, I hear from people is, I can't get my deal. And when you ask them what they're actually doing, they're barely doing anything. Right. And it's like, yo, if you're about it, like mindset's definitely key. I think you have to start reading some books and start um, knowing how to have a great mindset because you're going to get told no a lot more than you're going to get told yes. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a positive mindset, but you have to take massive action. And so the quicker you can take action, the better. And so it's all about speed of implementation. Once you have the idea, you listen to this, you're into storage, that strikes something in you, take action. Start learning about it. Start making offers. Start building a list. And just do it. Like you got to go all in. You just got to go. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, my Instagram is probably um, a great place to go to see what we're doing and also get a hold of us. It's at uh, uh, Alex.TheInvestor.Quesada, Q-U-E-Z-A-D-A. Um, if they're interested in investing in self-storage deals with alongside it with us, uh, our website's uh, Vault Ventures, like a bank vault, ventures.net slash investor club. And you can go out there and get the future opportunities that we're putting out there. And we've got a lot of things in the pipeline. And so. Vault Ventures, I like it a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys all next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve train. We real estate disruptors.